Ciao ragazzi and welcome to the latest episode of the Fratelli di Rugby podcast. Uh, I am your co-host Marcello and I am joined as ever by my two brothers Mike and Ottavio. Gentlemen, how are we? Are we are we good? Are we feeling good? Ciao March. Yeah, everything good. Happy to see you again. Are you are you feeling better now, Ottavio? Because you weren't very well for seems, a while, were you? Seems like, yeah. <laughs> So that's why I'm saying it seems to be everything good now because still a little bit of cough, still a little bit like that, but much better than last week. I was supposed to to travel and then I stay home, so much better now. Good to see you rested. Mike. Hello. How are we? Are you good, son? Oh, I'm good, mate. How are you? Yeah, good. Good, good, good. Yeah, mate. Yeah, pumped. Pumped. Nice, uh, nice weekend. Looking forward to this one. Absolutely, yes. That's well, a huge one. We're Thursday. We've got the teams. Obviously, World Cup final, which we will talk on. We will talk about uh, a little bit later. Uh, very much looking forward to that. But we will start with um, the URC round number one, done and dusted. And it's fair to say it was one of the more exciting rounds from an Italian perspective. One win, one defeat, which we've maybe become quite used to with. Uh, Benetton often uh, getting the win. And Zebra, having spent all season losing last season, came within one play of of winning in the first round uh, at home against Ulster. So 36-40, going down to the last play uh, and knocking it on at the, in the, at the vital moment. So bitterly, bitterly disappointing and, and heartbreaking for Zebra. However, Mike, I think... It's very fair to say that what we saw was one very positive uh, and two very exciting because zebra were especially in that first half going forward were were fantastic, weren't they? Yeah, I mean it's it's one of those where we've seen what zebra can do at their best. Um, there was you know sparkles a bit of last season, but it seems that with the coaching change and with some of like the young players being promoted in this incredibly long preseason that we've had, they're they're starting they're starting to gel and it's it's starting to show a little bit more. the The knock on at the end obviously comes down to decision making and it's a young team and let's let's face it like it, it was the wrong decision, um, but yeah you know that would have been a famous victory and who knows who knows hopefully it's a uh, you know good signs of things to come. Yes, so that. Mike's talking about there is if you haven't seen the game, Zebra have uh, Ulster right on the back foot, five metres out for a good uh, three or four minutes. Win scrum penalty after scrum penalty, uh, Ulster get Simbin, and then uh, rather confusingly, Zebra go for the tap penalty and knock it on. Otavio, I imagine you were ripping your hair out at that point. Yeah, it was was a bitter moment because. The game was really exciting. We saw the Zebra leading the the game for a long time. Then they went down, but they were fighting and they fight the the full uh, the full eighty minutes. Something really different from a result really close that was the first um, match last year when they fight back against Leinster in the opening last year. 
but this time they start scoring from the beginning. They weren't behind trying to follow after Leinster put the bonus point on in the first half. Debre did it actually in the first half, which was great to see. And uh, exciting at the end, but frustrating, yes, of course. Frustrating, but good, good stuff. I saw good stuff from a lot of players, so and that that was good. The style yeah. was good, was nice to see him. It was, and I think very entertaining. Obviously, they take two points from it, so it's uh, not the end of the world that result. And I think maybe if you'd said that before the game, Mike, some of them would have probably been quite content with that. But I guess the nature in which you lose when you lose like that is um is a harder one to swallow. But sort of that first half in particular, it was very much a case of defence was optional, wasn't it? Because in 20 minutes, there was, I think, six tries in the opening 20 minutes. So it was kind of, it was chaos. But my God, Zebra looked very, very, very sharp. Yeah, it also, it also goes to show what, you know, potentially the national team could do with a really good kicker. Like someone who's able to to, to kick a lot and kick for territory and, you know, play in the right right areas as well. So, you know, if 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 we're saying Zebre align quite a lot to how the national team currently are, like you know, give it a crack type mentality. Um, it was nice to see some some structure, some some you know, some game management there as well. Um, but yeah, man, uh, it's it, you know, Zebre have two points, which I think. Otto, if you if correct me if I'm wrong, I think they've got eight last season. Is that right? Um, so they're they're already doing quite well with with regards to sort of in comparison to last season. And who knows, man? Like they play like that against you know some of the teams that aren't are perceived closer to their level. They're going to cause what most people would consider an upset. But these these boys have been doing it all preseason, ready for this moment. So yeah, I I, I, ex- I expect them to win. Um, a fair few games this this season. Oh God, yeah. On the back of that, they got to think that they're gonna they're gonna do much better than than last season. Octavio, for you, take us into the stats. What did the stats tell you? What interested you most from that game? Go on. Okay, so I have the URC official information that is really interesting to to read. Uh, because the, the the set piece was key, something that they struggled, and the scrum, uh, even when they brought uh, into Pitinari and Asa switching position from from one to three, from three to one, that there was a big call. There was an expecting when I saw the the team, and it was great to see in that way. Uh, but also the line out, they were able to steal a line out with Jack Ferrari and. Uh, Hundred percent of success of the line-out throw from the hookers, something that we really miss last year for Zebre, and uh, we saw that, and it was great. And then they kick a lot, twenty-seven kicks during the game, and this is uh, is an interesting way they're kicking too, because they're always trying to push pressure on them, uh, starting to create from a line-out from the uh, next kick. And that was great. And what else I can tell you, a couple of stuff about the drivers of play of Zebra. We saw Guido Volpi at the number six. There was the, the, the most used player of nine with eight carries, uh, 12 pick and go, two kicks, uh, like uh, Fusco did two grabber kicks by the nine and two box kick. 
And then uh, the rest of the the things I can say is that um, Zebra play more of 10 than everything. And when they play off 12, uh, so when they play with looking, they go or for the crash ball or is a set piece uh, pass. So that's a little bit of uh, Zebra stats for uh, Fratelli di Rugby. And thanks for Longo Match because Longo Match as usual uh. helped me. Helps me collecting data when I need it. So thanks, Longo Match, for supporting me. Good luck. Well done. Well done, you. Yeah, Stamma. that's it for now. Stamma. For example, okay. but man, was um, we saw new players too in Zebra. Mm. The new, the new players from the Southern Pacific. So we saw Scott Gregory and Fetuli Paea, the Tongan player. So. New new phases. We saw Cambriani, and uh, come on, pretty pretty good for the first game in uh, in the yellow and blue jersey. I think. What do you guys think about them? Yeah, I mean, I'm hugely excited, Mike. For you, players that players that stood out. Yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to see some leadership from Licata. Um, yeah, he looks like good. he looks he looks pretty look pretty look pretty good. It's good to see him back off an injury, and you know, he, I know he's been captaining sort of pre World Cup, but it looks great. CC back, you know, initial impact. I think he scored the first try from memory of them all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, the, it it just seems like the balance is better. So, like, we can highlight a lot of different players, but it just seems like that it's more cohesive as a team. Yeah. You know how I feel about Pani as well. I think, you know, it, it, he looked like he had a bit about, you know, a bit between the teeth. Like, even when he scored, he seemed angry. Do you know what I mean? It, it just looked mm-hmm. it just looked like they had something to prove and they were driven by something else. And, um, you know, there's a lot of frustration from, from the last two games in Italy. And a lot of these young players probably feel um, like they want to to try and sort of show what, you know, the next generation is about and give a lot of uh, the fans a bit of, you know, light at the end of the tunnel type 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 situation. And I think, you know, these these players feel it in their skin. And like I said, they just it just looked it looked different. You know, the impetus looked different. It looked more concise. And yeah, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd hate to highlight one player, you know. <laughs> Mike, how yeah. how much was like to see Gabin Villiers when Jesse scored the try from set piece, Mate, fighting right. against everybody to score uh, over uh, over the that line. strength. What a wiry little like he's he like he, genuinely. He, he, the initial contact was what five five yards out, six yards out, mm. and he still broke two tackles. Like that guy is wrong, man. Like he's so strong. Yeah, he doesn't look it strength. at all. He looks no. he looks so looks so. Weak, but they they tend to be those players that are just the most the strongest because they're just impossible to put down. I'm glad you said it because I was going to pick him out as well. But I think yeah. I wasn't I wasn't too aware of Lorenzo Panni before we started talking, Mike. Really, um, but he is quickly becoming my favourite player alongside Menoncello because he's just got he's got that class about him. He's got that little bit of pizzazz, shall we say. He's just he just looks he just looks the real deal and he looks like a really confident player as well. It looks like maybe being at that World Cup has given him that extra little bit of of motivation to really kick on this season. Yeah. I and think he, that's a fair he said that uh, the way he play is more instinctive 
but during mm-hmm. the week he'll, he'll he'll try to work a lot on uh, on the fundamentals on the basics on the skills uh, and also he preferred to play 15 than 14 he said it to in the podcast with with us with Mike too and uh, he preferred to play 15 so he can decide where to go what to do i want to drive more the, the game which is great because for for example zebra is using him uh, uh, as a first kicker from exit strategy because he's uh, such a really long boot is left that he kicks a lot far far away yeah. And I don't know whether you've got the stats to back this up, uh, Ottavio, but the speed of ball from Garcia looked really good as well, like in terms of really quick, especially when Zebra got into that 22, the ball seemed to be moved very, very quickly. Yeah, I don't have the stats for that, but I can tell you that that what it looks like. Also, Garcia was really missed last year because he was a quality player. If he was fit, maybe he was... Maybe it was him and not uh, Lautaro Basanvelez, the, the the other nine uh, for the Pumas, in my opinion, because he was really good. He is good when he picked the ball. Uh, he tried to box kick in the right way, and he knows how to keep momentum on. Something that uh, they need a lot for this style of play, the zebra. And how close? How close might you think that? Obviously, Jersey had such a good season last season. He was up there, and he was in the team of he's in the team of the season, wasn't he? For the URC, that was last season, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. I, I think I, he definitely was. What yeah. Otto said, uh, the, the he had the best strike rate of any Italian player in the URC. I think any Italian player. Of, and, yeah, any, yeah, he was Italian the the, the top stop, Italian it? scorer uh, last year. Yeah, yeah. He can't. He can't be far away. He can't be far away from. Being given a proper chance in the in the in the national side, can he? He's he's just he's just a ball of chaos, isn't he? Um, he's just one of those players where you just have to unleash and just let him do his bits. But against my my and and I suppose I'll caveat this with my concern is um, the same way I love Pani because I think he's a really well-rounded player. I don't know how well uh, Jesse is rounded. You know, I don't really see him kick mm. that often unless it's, you know. Uh, an, an up and under or a grubber that he's chasing himself. I don't know how he can kick uh, for territory. I don't know how good he is in the air if there's going to be, you know, some bombs going up and, you know, they're targeting him like we saw against Yuani. Um, but yes, in terms of talent, like I'd love to see him in the mix. I'd love to see him try and try and push through. And the other stuff can be taught, I suppose. And and, and that's really dependent on Quesada and, and what, he, what he sees. But is he good enough to play? From what we've seen, yes, you know, like Bruno is is playing uh, for for Italy, and Jersey could potentially take his teammate's spot, you know. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'd love to see it, you know. And from one side that almost won, and almost basically, oh, I think it'd probably be harsh to say gave the game away uh, to one side that snatched it right at the death. Benetton beating Cardiff Blues by a single point in Cardiff. Otavio, we spoke, we've spoken quite a lot uh, in terms of the national team, in terms of Benetton, in terms of Zebra. Finding ways to get results away from home is so, so important to the development of both of these franchises and with a view to the national side. So for Benetton to start the season with an away win, that's, that's huge for them, isn't it? 
Yeah, uh, absolutely. Because we, we we were expecting the victory. Actually, we yeah. when we were speaking in the preview of the season, start for with a victory away can be massive and is massive. Think about playing with Drago, playing with Giuliani Nizekor, uh, Spagnolo from the beginning. At the end, there was a great uh, way to start, even if the maybe the style of play we saw was a little bit rough. Was uh, starting to is starting to grow the attack of Benetton with the new coach with Troncon, but hey, I saw a good uh, good impact from the bench because uh, when Albornoz came in, uh, he was playing as a as a center, I can say, like a mm. like a twelve because he attacked the line every time, and Umaga keep was the number ten. He kick well, and Uran kick really well. Speaking about kicking game, they were perfect. Uh, uh, they retained more uh, than uh, every team in URC this week with six. And uh, and Uran uh, did a really contestable kick. So everything was pretty good. Rough, the the attack, the general move of attack, gameplay, game fa- mm-hmm. face play, but uh, great. And line out good, scrum pretty good. Let's move, uh, let's go. And they weren't the top team. Because Zebri maybe is missing a couple of players, maybe Morisi, Paul Ledri, great players. But Benetton has almost the, the full national team out. Yeah. Negri, Lamaro, uh, and say you know, the Gallo and other ones, just to say. Fikitoa, come on. Sure. So Mike, I guess I guess I guess that's the one of the big positives is that Maybe Benetton weren't at their absolute best, and there's still, like Octavia said, a lot of players to come back in. So, for the squad as a whole, that's going to be that's the best possible way to start, isn't it? Yeah, and you know, there's one player. As much as I said, I don't want to single out one player. There is one player that I'd like to single out for Benetton, and I think he was very, very close to being picked pre-World Cup. But Drago looked amazing. Um, I, I thought he he controlled the game really, really well. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing how he progresses. But, you know, it's to the point where these players are going to have to step up because of the international window. And, you know, the long preseasons benefited Benetton massively. You know, there's, there's some team cohesion there, regardless of whether the Italians are there or not, as in the national side. And, you know, these young players have an opportunity and, Hopefully, hopefully, it's, it's, it's going to make Portolami's uh, decisions really tough and give him a bit of a headache because that's the only thing that we can we can hope for if we want a competitive uh, national side and a competitive URC franchise. Both sides is that it, the selection is hard every single week, and hopefully, we're at a point where even the youngsters are are making those decisions really, really hard for them. And that's the key, isn't it? That's the key, isn't it? In in all sport, having competition for places is is nothing but a good thing, is it? It's a headache for the coach, and probably something that will give him sleepless nights. But it's definitely definitely a, a positive because I tell you, a lot of these players, especially at Benetton, are whilst the internationals are out, are trying to play for a, for a place when they all come back in. I guess it's, it, this is a chance for for some of those players to to put their hand up, I guess, and kind of yeah their way in. No, we saw different uh, options in the speaking about the Italians in the team. 
like playing with Izekor at six uh, at uh, at seven um, Zuliani it's something that we're expecting to see on the next level now for Italy in some occasion if it's not going to be the six nation I think it's going to be the summer where they're going to start some games maybe maybe together maybe with another zebra player maybe with Paul Ledri, who knows uh, so let's let's see what they can do because they like the the the, the front row was great think about spagnolo was at the at the debut at the international level club level because he came from petrarca last year he was one of the youngest prop number one so yes Zilocchi was back after two years without playing Actually, play last time for Zebra before moving to Irish and never playing for, due to injuries. And there was Lucchesi. So uh, these players are there. Maybe Lucchesi next week can rest and they're going to have uh, um, Nicotra starting. Uh, I mean, Nicotra is the one that brought the brought the the the, the scrum forward, the line out for Italy because uh, nobody was there. So Great to see Lucchesi back. Not great. And Drago. Drago, come on. We want more Drago in this uh, in this Italy. Mike, Lucchesi was someone you, before we started this evening, was someone you were very excited about. Yeah, I just, I, I just think, like, for us to have a competitive, um, again, you know, thinking of Benetton and thinking national side, the amount of... Um, you know, players that they contribute for us to have a successful national side, and and you know, traditionally we've struggled at set piece. He's he's so good, and it definitely looks like you know he's comfortable comfortable enough to to run it around the park. I know our stat man is going to uh, uh, probably talk about him in some detail, so I'm not gonna I'm, I'm not gonna speak about that side. It, it, he just he just looks back, and for someone to have such a serious injury and be out for so long. Normally, you know, there's that that fear, um, and we see it all the time, you know. And he just he just hasn't. He's just hit the ground running. He seems super confident, um, and he was forced to do 78 minutes. Um, you know, the uh, poor Bernosconi got injured almost like immediately after coming on, and he had to come back on. So, um, yeah, I mean, Otto, I'll pass it to you because I know I know you've got some some brilliant stats on him. So, go, stat man, go. Take so, it away. About uh, about to speak about how the play the way he plays. Lucchesi uh, is the first carrier after the central uh, crash ball from line out. So every time uh, um, Benetton attacks, they go in the middle of the field and usually they play with uh, the second uh, uh, phase of attack with Lucchesi catching that ball. But not only there, because we saw Lucchesi scoring uh, tackling twenty two times and and that is a crazy stats he scored one try and uh, he was used so many times carrying the ball because we saw like 10 times so the most used forward by Benetton of nine and he was also used six times uh, as a second receiver into contact so at the end he carried the ball almost 16 times and that's uh, that's crazy thinking about uh, it was the first game from uh, back from injury so br- brilliant brilliant game from him and 100 percent line out throw success i missed zero tackles 
And you can watch it, guys, because I did a video about uh, I make a video about his performance on YouTube. So that's something more. Absolutely. Well, I can think after what was probably a pretty tough two weeks for the national side at the end of that World Cup campaign. Last weekend was uh, a big boost and uh, a major improvement and something for us all to get very excited about indeed on the club. So, gentlemen, I think we'll move this forward unless you have anything else you want to add on on the past weekend. More looking forward to the next game because it's going to be Osprey's, uh, mm. Osprey's uh, Zebra. So it's going to be another chance for Zebra, I think. Yeah, another chance. Uh, the worst line out of, uh, is uh, by Ospreys now. So it's something that can be really attacked by the by the Zebra. And then let's see how they're going to play and what kind of team. If Maurice is, uh, start playing uh, training. So let's see if he's going to be in the team uh, this week for Zebra. And on the other side, Munster uh, is going to come to Treviso. So the first. Maybe it's gonna be the first fake does game, which is uh, gonna be something huge. If you're gonna see him, uh, maybe Paulo Dogo, but the players are coming back, and it's a gnome game. So who knows? Maybe they can do it against the champions, the current champions. Master looks really sharp last week. Uh, honest, I have to say that. But I saw how they play against. Uh, um, oh my god, I don't remember against who they play. Well, anyway, I'm mixing two games together, but yes, it was good to see them. A dog ball, see Carberry playing well, but they can do anyway because they have Albert, not Sumag and everything. So hopefully everything beat, is going to be a double win. They beat the Sharks. The Sharks, sorry. Yeah, the Sharks. 34-21. I guess now that I'm on that, I'll probably run through the other results. Um, Connor beating Ospreys uh, in Ireland. Dragons losing out to Edinburgh. The Lions and the Stormers were involved in a pretty decent game. 33-35 that finished. Um, and then the Bulls thumping Scarlets 6-3-21 on the Sunday. Uh, and Glasgow yeah. beating... Uh, I mean, you look at Glasgow 43, Leinster 25 and think, oh my goodness, but Leinster are obviously without... Basically, their no, first no, choice no. and their second choice and their third choice. They were down to their fourth choice. Pretty much yeah. against Glasgow. So Some new that phases. was that. And as uh, Otavio said uh, this week, Zebra go to Swansea on the Saturday and Benetton host Munster on the Sunday. So let's look back at the week. We've um, obviously international rugby remains the focus. Uh, we are coming to the end now of the Rugby World Cup. Uh, the final on Sunday. But before we talk about uh, that one, uh, let's maybe talk about um, the international game as a whole. This week, uh, we've had uh, the news that this, uh, what's it called again? What's the what's the official title? I think it's World League. Tier 1 uh, League. No? Tier 1 League. It sounds <laughs> so exciting, doesn't it? Wow. No, Not League much imagination went into that one. Um, but yes, we're talking about the World League, the big world superpower Tier 1 League uh, that's going to start. Uh, it's 2026, is it? 2026 and then yeah. promotion relegation. Uh, Four years uh, later. Yeah, 
but actually after the 40, 40 years. So it's going to start uh, in 2031. It's going to start with the promotion relegation. Mike, your thoughts? Because there's been this has obviously blown up quite a lot on social media. Uh, a lot of people unhappy that after the World Cup, where we've seen so many of these tier two sides playing so well, the fact that they're going to be essentially uh, blocked out of playing any tier, any tier ones until, well, the next seven, eight years. That's it, 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 it seems pretty, it's divided opinion and not a lot of it's been positive. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think sort of, first of all, let's just touch upon the, what has been proposed, right? So what has been proposed is that there will be open tier one, tier two games every two years. So that would be in the Lions years, it will be uh, tier one versus tier two. And then pre-World Cup, it'll be tier one versus tier, tier two. And then obviously we'll have the World Cup. Um, I don't know the stats, but I'd love to know how many tier two nations, the tier one nations bar Italy have played in the past two years because Italy has played a lot of tier two nations in the past two, three years. I'm not sure that it would be as impactful as people first first look uh, because obviously the, the main tests are typically against, you know, like New Zealand or South Africa where they'll have free game tests. So yes, it's bad, but for me, I, I think it's it's it it's taken out of context. I don't think the people who are outraged really sort of fully understand the concept of it. I don't think it's a good idea. Uh, if I had to put you know m where I am on it, I don't think it's a good idea. I don't think it's a good idea for us as Italians. But it almost feels like after me speaking last week about you know the Super League and all the benefits, this is why they've done it. Right? They've done it because unfortunately. The premiership's on there. Uh, the, the RFU are on their knees. WRU are on their knees. Uh, Australia are on their knees. South Africa are on their knees. And if any of these big rugby nations go under, that world rugby is going to look pretty shit, to be honest. So they're going to have to try and find a way of, first of all, consolidating it into an attractive tournament, which is away from a world rugby regulated tournament so it can be sold to private equity. So... In, in, this is what I'm assuming is going to happen. They're probably going to package it up, sell, you know, 40% to CBC, Silver Lake, Vista, wh whichever private equity comes with their hands open with cash. They're going to liquidate that 40% straight away. They're going to give some to uh, the RFU. They're going to give some to WRU, who, let's face it, spent, you know, the vast proportion of their 100 million that they got per year from the Six Nations on building a hotel, you know, just before COVID. And then bail out all the unions so we're in a financial, you know, relative financial state for the short term. And really what's happening here is they've sold their souls. So that's, that's, they've sold their souls. But it's for the, is it, is it, let's, 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 can, can we be really candid here, right? Is it more of impactful course. if one or two of the tier two nations, get one or two less games per cycle against a tier one nation, right? Or if South Africa go bankrupt and they can't produce players, if Australia go bankrupt, they can't produce players, like the big rugby nations. That's that's the trade-off. And 
And and I'm not saying one is more important than the other because we should look be looking to develop a global game. But the question is, right, like what's going to look worse to world rugby if South Africa go bust and they can't produce players, they don't have a talent pool, they don't have an elite pathway, they can't, you know, support franchises. Or if Portugal have one less tier one game per year, per, per cycle, sorry. Um, I can try to 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 bring uh, the point from the tier two side, yeah. Uh, here, because I think it's important. The the only good thing that is going to be some regulation about uh, the thirty, the tier two um, teams that they're gonna play against tier one. Then let's be honest. Uh, how many times uh, is gonna be like Japan, Fiji, and Italy? playing against uh, Georgia, Portugal, Uruguay more than the other teams too because maybe nobody wants to they want to sell the big tickets so part of the tier one nation they're going to play maybe one game hopefully every team every of the uh, top nine team let's say because six nation sorry top ten so six plus uh, Argentina, Uruguay eh, Argentina, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand so let's say the, the, them. So you have other 10 teams that they, they can play. But the fact is, this is going to apply from 2031. So we are saying, actually, that we're going to see again uh, Rafa Storti, Guedes, Martins playing, uh, Echeverri, Rodriguez, uh, uh, all these good players. We're going to see them again on the big stage. If we are lucky, a couple of times during these years, and then we're gonna see them back with Chile, maybe at the Rugby World Cup. That's why I'm saying this because we were the team. Italy was the team that play against Uruguay in the last four years. The only uh, tier one game they had against Portugal that happened the same. The only re- Namibia never play against anybody in the last four years. And we just touched three of the tier two. But thinking about the only team who really benefits from the last four years cycle was Georgia, because they played multiple times against everybody. They were into the nation series. So I hope in some way, because they already sell like next year, uh, England is going to to New Zealand, I think. And okay. Wales is, is going to play with Australia. So well, just- how... How many space is gonna be? Just I was gonna say, just before we move on, do you know who voted for what? Uh, I, I, I've seen, I I've seen on, on Twitter, but I Argentina don't... playing against uh, rugby, South Africa, not South Africa, sorry, South America rugby play uh, vote against, against. Yeah. and also because guys they were left out from the past. For example, Chile, there was the best team, one of the best. Uh, with Uruguay and Argentina, one of the best is a Pacific team. He cannot play against uh, uh, Fiji, Samoa, Tonga, but Canada, yes, is going to play. And the United States, yes, they're going to play because there is a chance for the World Cup to be developed there. There are a lot of more business because we are looking this as a, a thing for business to save uh, the finances of a lot of uh, federations. So, course there's some money there in the mlr and they're gonna go with the uh, usa rugby 
this this is what I find odd though, boys, because if, if we're looking at who voted for what, right? Yes, all of the tier one nations bar Argentina voted for, but then Georgia voted for, Samoa voted for, Tonga voted for, USA voted for, Canada voted for, right? Um, I think Romania was voted against, but the vast, if, if you were to look at sort of the tier two nations, um, there was one vote for and one vote against in the Asian votes because they got two votes. One so, and one, they did great. One and one, yeah. So, so if you're looking at the grand scheme of things, something else has been said behind the the doors for for for, for Georgia to say, okay, fine, right? They clearly have been promised something else, right? No, no, no team. I I just don't understand the you know that there's probably a carrot being dangled somewhere, right? Um, whether it's a real carrot or if it's really just a hidden stick, we'll find out. But these, you know, Samoa, Tonga, they they don't benefit for voting for unless there's something else that's been said. It, that's just the way I see it. Yeah, and I guess we're going to have to wait and see what, why maybe they did vote for it, because as you said, there must be some reason. I guess the, the one positive, maybe from an Italian perspective as well, is that this will also mean that the World Cup will expand to 24 countries uh, in 2027 in Australia. Um, no, it's Australia, the next one. Yeah, right? yes, yeah. Yeah. Already really qualified for uh, for playoff part. You see? Yeah. Like and so it will go it will go into a, a, a four team per group, which hopefully should help us potentially progress from a group stage. Um so there's also that to think about, isn't there, Mike, that this will the World Cup will expand. So it will also change not just the way that we play rugby per year, but also the World Cup. What do you what do you think about that as well? Um, obviously, expansion like has been and should have been a priority for such a long time. I just feel I, I don't know. Maybe it's a cynic in me. I just feel like the timing is a little bit. It's a little bit suspect, man. Like they they saw that Canada and they saw that America um, didn't qualify for this World Cup, and I. I just the cynic in me says if this happened last World Cup, this would already have been 24 teams this World Cup, right? If 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 France or Canada didn't didn't uh, qualify. Sorry, if um USA and Canada didn't qualify. Because that's where the focus lies. They're the sleeping giants. That's where, you know, they want to to, to see some sort of growth and fair play to the USA. Like it's it's one of the fastest growing sports in the US, uh, rugby. Like they've got a talent pool that dwarfs um most of the six nations right so i i get why they've done it it's just you know for, for me this should have been done years ago right right yeah, i'm glad sure. it's happening now but it, it's it you know it's a little bit suspect yeah if i had to put be, my little tinfoil hat on yeah it wouldn't be surprised take a wild swing at maybe where the world cup is in 2031 you know yeah wonder where it might be um but yeah that is um that is something I'm sure we'll talk about more. Uh, and generally, uh, it's going to be a conversation had uh, for a long time to come. Yeah. Um, but we will, obviously, whilst we're talking about international rugby, like I said, we will touch on um, the Rugby World Cup semi finals last weekend, the Rugby World Cup final this weekend between uh, New Zealand and South Africa. We won't talk about England and Argentina because no one gives a fuck. I hate that game. The bronze medal final needs to just be scrapped. Who? No one. All it does, right? All it does is it just takes players away from returning to their clubs for another week. 
potentially they get injured and everyone's unhappy because of what a bronze medal that nobody wants. Any 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 disagreement there? <laughs> Anyone? That was no, quite that was no, quite no. an aggressive view from me, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> that's no. my that's my thoughts. I don't care that much, Very apparently. Funny. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, the Argentinians are gonna be upset with you because they love to to be the bronze, the bronze ones, you know. Yeah, they sure. they live into this, but fair play for them. Uh, they can uh, they can think about that that game actually. But yes, I agree with you. Sorry, Mike. Uh, no, no, no. I was gonna say it's it, 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 you hit the nail on the head about player safety as well. It's been like yeah, I don't know, like. 20 22 weeks together and away from the club and you know what like it's just sod's law now that you said it. i was thinking in my head it's sod's law that Gallo gets absolutely ruined this weekend like Donny, and it's just we like we're without him for the rest of the season um yeah knocking on wood it doesn't happen but like do you see what i'm saying yeah i agree with you i agree there's there's a risk um england are going for a youthful side though like they're playing you know some of the youngsters, and then they're giving a swan song to Youngs, and they haven't given one to Laws, oddly. Um, but hey, you got you got your South African win, my friend. <laughs> Both of you got your South African wins. <laughs> I well, yeah, well, yeah, I did, I, and you know what, you know what, that right, we'll talk about that game. Obviously, New Zealand Argentina, unfortunately, it was a bit of a non-event. Argentina came out the blocks. Maybe if they'd scored in that first sort of 10 minutes, maybe it would have been a different game. But in the end, New Zealand totally wiped the floor with the Argentinians and it was a, a pretty disappointing contest. So we will just sort of breeze straight over that one uh, in terms of that result. And we'll talk about New Zealand a little bit uh, ahead of the, the final, of course. But um, England, South Africa, won at the death by Pollard. Now, it might not have been... Uh, the sort of rugby we watched France, South Africa, New Zealand against Ireland, Otavio, but I imagine you absolutely loved that tactical competition. No tries, just kicks and penalties and interesting yeah. scrums and rucks and mores. I bet you loved it. And box kick central as well. Ah, oh, you but, must have just had a lovely evening. The try have been scored at the end from uh, Znaiman. One of my favourites, actually, so... No man, look. Uh, there are two two sides of the world. There is the good and Gotham City. Uh, the Springboks are Gotham City, so <laughs> I love them. <laughs> no, I love them so much. The approach, how pride, uh, how much pr they are proud of what they do every time they go in the field. But how? But uh, how, how bad? How bad were they? How bad were they for seventy minutes? Yeah, they were not the best, actually. Not the best because the believing from uh, England was huge, avoiding to play, let's say, but just having this another crazy approach. Yes, with Dampat, we were saying about uh, Kriel didn't pass any ball, no carries, nothing. So, yeah, it's tactical and it's going to be worse the the final because they're going to have this approach and the 7 plus 1 is going to be something crazy to see. But uh, this is the way South Africa always played, but they know also how to speed it up stuff. Look at the try from Turnover against France, for example. And a heartbreak for you, Mike. Huh? Hey, at the end of the day, I was just hoping for a good game. And I was, I was 
that was that meme uh which hit home quite nicely it's that like voldemort scene right at the end of the harry potter is like now you entrust yourself to me and that's that's how it sort of felt supporting supporting england but it just uh hey like they they gave i i as a northern hemisphere fan i was quite impressed that england played to their strength well they played to their strengths didn't they and um you know, generally, the irony of it is the same strengths that they played to in the first half was their downfall in the second half because yeah. the scrum just capitulated, right? After yeah. after Marler and Coles came off and the bomb squad came on, it was just a clear mismatch. But that for the long proportion of the time of, of that game, they were the better team. Um, it just so happens that South Africa showed their class at the end. And so that was the difference, you know, fine margins and all that. Um but yeah, you know, it could have gone, could have gone either way. And you know what? I actually, I was sitting there, I was sat in a pub, my local pub, which is obviously full of English people wanting England to win, and there was no part of me cheering South Africa on or anything like that. And I, I did, I did feel because when I watched Wales in the against South Africa in the semi-final four years ago, I know exactly how it feels for. Ooh. To, 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 to sort of play so well um, and then for Pollard to come on and, and score a penalty in the last two minutes off a, <laughs> off a dodgy call. That one against Wales was a dodgy call. That was never a penalty, might I add. Anyway, I'm not bitter <laughs> about it. Um, and then obviously there's a lot, a lot of talk about that scrum penalty as well. Um, and if you haven't seen David Flatman's, uh, David Flatman talks about that penalty really, really well, actually. That final scrum penalty that obviously gives South Africa the win. And I, and I did sit there and feel, I did feel sorry for England because they left it all out there. However, if you refuse to play, you will get burned. And I Can guess I that is what... did what Flat I, say? Flat actually said that the call was the right one. It that was, it was yeah, a penalty. Yeah, no, okay, cool. he, yeah, said, okay, he said, I won't go into it too much because it's, it's too much nausea, boring scrums talk, but he basically... <laughs> he he went down really, first, yeah. He explains really well. The knee goes down, Fine, and yeah, then that causes well. him to destabilize and go in on the angle. Blah 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 blah. Um, but yeah, so that gives us, of course, it gives us New Zealand South Africa in the final. Why did any of us think it would be anything but those two playing against each other? Um, Otavio, what are you what are you thinking about that final? Uh, will New Zealand have watched that semi final, and will they look to try? And capitalised on on maybe where where England didn't because the one thing that you could have said about England is that for all their dominance they never really got far enough ahead to protect it. That's the point that they they never really stretch the results for them, and the same happened with uh, <clears throat> with France too. So what I expect from uh, from South Africa is going to be this tight tight game because they're expecting that kind of game. They're going to be patient for the full time, full game and there's going to be such a different approach from uh, those two teams. Also because on one side, South Africa already played with a 7 plus 1 against New Zealand and New Zealand knows what what that means because in the, pre- in the warm-up match of the Rugby World Cup when South Africa won in Twiggeram mm. actually, I think, yeah. uh, they were there they defend pretty well in the first half, in my opinion, even if they were the, the try arrived. But man, uh, 
a clash of style, we can say. It's going to yeah. be a clash of style, actually. And uh, this is going to be something that we're going to remember after years, a clash of style so big, because that is, for me, what what shine on the side, the free flow, let's say, the basic skills in mm. attack, pretty well done by the All Blacks. And on the other side, the contest, turnover and kicking game of South Africa with massive forwards. Well, well New Zealand... Will New Zealand apply the same approach that England did? Do you think, or will they try, or will they try something different? Because I just can't see New Zealand being that. Maybe is negative the right word, but generally it was. It was England's England's tactic was a was a negative one, right? At the end was uh, was negative. I, I don't think with uh, with Josh Meter and the rest of the team they want to do that kind of uh, of game. They want to keep their their style, so they're gonna try way to go over the rush defense, and they're gonna try to avoid so many racks as possible with um, playing the ball, playing the ball, maybe different uh, style of uh, shapes in attack, and see from there a lot of bonks bomb kick too in their uh, mm. opposite fifty. That part of the kicking game, yes, but it's not gonna be only that. They're gonna try weird stuff, but not only that. Mike, what are you? What are your thoughts? That one. One thing that's impressed me of New Zealand is they have so many different ways they can play and so many different ways they can win. Whereas, like South Africa, have adopted this, you know, high-pressured um, kick chase and you know a, a quick blitz and you know a dominant set piece and a dominant uh, maul and that that's that's sort of the foundations of their game whereas i think like new zealand proved against us that they could play a power game and dominate us albeit obviously we're not the same sort of level as south africa but they can play in a different manner they can have an offloading game like we saw against uruguay they that's just this they've just got so many like bows that's oh, right so so many arrows to their to their quiver they can do so many different things and i think if they're able to adapt, I think South Africa have had the harder route in. Um, and again, you know, that, that does that does make a difference. Um, I think a fresh South Africa against the fresh England, South Africa, it probably would have been a lot different score um, yeah. in favour of South Africa. But, you know, they, they, it was it was a lot closer than it was probably because of, because of that. And I think, you know, depending on how well South African recover. I think the seven-one things maybe slightly forced. Uh, if I'm honest, I think it is a yeah. slightly forced decision. Um, and if South, if if New Zealand have large large proportion of the time attacking in South Africa, defending, and they have to constantly blitz and make sure they're on side and not give away silly penalties because they're going to get punished at range from the from the New Zealand kickers. Um, yeah, it could make could 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 be could be less of a arm wrestle than we think you know <laughs> i hope so i hope so um the seven one split is such an interesting dynamic because i saw somebody put it on twitter is that willie larue can play 10 he can 10, 15. play 13 15 winger quagga smith can play as a center if needs be and you know they've they've got players that can sort of mix it around so that's seven Whilst it sounds like a seven-one, actually, probably a little bit more like a six and a two because 
Aquarius Smith. Yeah. They've got players that can they've got players that can play in different positions. So but it's it's it is a really interesting one. And I guess if New Zealand try and go for Fafta Clerk really early on, that's where they could probably call they could cause some issues there if they, they, they manage to get so, through to Fafta. So what is gonna happen if Fafta Clerk goes out? My opinion, Colbe goes as Yes, and Willems a move on the wing, maybe yeah. with Leroux playing a second playmaker 10-15 like yeah. five years, four years ago. Yeah, I really hope it happens, you know. I want to, I want to <laughs> see that happen just to see how Razzi manages to sort of switch everyone around and make everyone playing a different position because it is what I have found with South Africa and the way they're coached like Razzy Rasmus himself, like they are, uh, they are such an interesting team to really dig deep and look at because they've, there's so they much going on there and, and they can play, they can play so many different ways. And it is, they are, they have become a really interesting team to follow. I'll give them that. And as a podcast at the start of the tournament, who did we predict as our winners? I know I didn't want them to, and I was trying to convince you that France would do it. And I wish they did. Such a shame. The romantic in me, it's such a shame that we're going to see potentially see South Africa win. I wanted France to win it. And I said, France, South Africa final is what we actually came to. And we ended up, you two outvoted me, I think. And we ended up going with South Africa. So, so we could it. still be right. We still we still could That's be right. So, so Mike. Anyone... Prediction. I don't think anyone expected this New Zealand to turn up, though. Like, uh, it just all the signs were opposite, you know. <laughs> just, uh, I didn't. Just a I didn't. Team. I didn't ever. I didn't think they'd get to a final, but I definitely thought that they were always going to be a play. I mean, I did. I did it's have France and Ireland. France and Ireland. I, I. I really did think would would turn up, but you know, I, I didn't think they'd never, be dominant. No, never bet against New Zealand and South Africa. That is what we've learned. They've won pretty much, I think, how many of tournaments they've won between themselves? They won six between them, right? Six. Yeah. Yeah. So they're going for a seven. They're going for a potential seven. It's going to be a bragging rights match, isn't it? Oh, God, yeah. It's crazy. It should be, I'm hoping for a really good game. And either way, with South Africa involved, it is always interesting, whatever might happen. So we will very much I hope no red cards in this game, no 50-50 calls. That's the only thing I hope for in this game. Well, I think a, a, a big positive of the fact that it's New Zealand South Africa does mean that I've actually been really disappointed that Luke Pierce hasn't been given a game, at, in, especially in the semi-finals. He didn't, he didn't ref a quarter-final either, did he? No, I don't think so. How he, in my opinion, I, I think he is right up there. Wayne Barnes is one of the best refs in the world. So how he hasn't been given a game, I really don't know. But it feels right that Wayne Barnes is there because probably given everything, he is the best referee on the planet. So with that in mind, you kind of, I think people are a little bit more at ease that hopefully kind of the refereeing won't come into it. But you never know. Rugby these days, all it takes is... One slightly high shoulder from Ebenezer away from a red card. Eh? My God, because he so can't bend down low yeah. enough. Well, <laughs> maybe it's gonna be Peter Step to it. 
Ja, det är sant. Scott Barrett. Ja, yeah, if I was a better anyway. man, I'd put, put, put a fiver on a red card this this weekend. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Although all of my bets this World Cup have not come off whatsoever, so I'm not betting anymore. Anyway, um, that takes us up to just a tickle under an hour. I think that is a good place to stop. We've covered the OIC, we've covered the World Cup, we've looked into this World League business, and I think that's a good place for us to stop, um, boys. Thank you very much. Enjoy the weekend. Let's hope for a good game on Saturday. Uh, and fingers crossed for Benetton and Zebra as well. But uh, for now, that'll be it from us. Please make sure to subscribe, follow and share to the podcast. And we will speak to you all again very, very soon. Ciao. Ciao, ciao. Ciao.